0: Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. How to describe Kimberly Greenberg? Let me count the ways. Actress, singer, writer, coach, teacher, mentor, who has worked in theater, film, and television for more than 20 years. Kim's been dubbed the go-to gal for Fanny Brice, the legendary Jewish comedian, Broadway, and movie star, and the inspiration for Funny Girl, the hit musical and film. Kim's solo show, Fabulous Fanny, the songs and stories of Fanny Bryce, has been playing across the country for eight years and is streaming now on the Stellar platform. Kim is the first and only actress to star in a pair of off-Broadway shows, musicals, simultaneously, One Night with Fanny Bryce, and Danny and Sylvia, the Danny Kay musical. She released a fabulous Fanny Bryce cast album, which received a rave review from Broadway World. Kim has played other historical heavyweights, including Lillian Hellman in Little Wars and Susan B. Anthony in Onward Victoria. Her TV film credits include the HBO miniseries, The Plot Against America, Between the Lions on PBS, and NBC's ER. Kim is also one of the top 10 performing art coaches in the world providing inspiration and advice through workshops webinars and master classes so let's meet and get to know this creative heavyweight kim welcome and thanks so much for joining me remotely today oh thank you so much for having me it's my pleasure to be here it's so exciting so kim i always ask the actress singing talented guests did this start when you were a little kid were you performing for your family Back in the day?
1: Well, it's funny. Uh, My mom told me that when I was really, really little, like in the crib. She used to have the Mickey Mouse Club playing on the TV. And I guess she said at that point in time, I was singing and dancing in that crib. So I think innately in me, it's been in me since birth. But I play the violin in about fourth grade. And that's also sort of when I started dabbling in performing. And from that point on, I've never really stopped. It's always been a thing. And through high school, through college, I've just always known and had very... Much had tunnel vision and the fact that this is what
0: I wanted to do. But you know, what always strikes me is, I mean, I like to sing and I like to do all those things, but I had no talent. How was that fostered in you? How did you know that you were on the right path? Aside from your mother saying, "Gee, Kim, you you're terrific." <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. I think I've had some pretty great
1: teachers along the way who have sort of fostered that. And it's interesting because those teachers didn't necessarily foster me in the acting realm. It was a lot of like, "You have a great voice. You should join the chorus," or you know, offering up the instrument in the fourth grade um, when I was a kid and, and starting to play the violin and kind of moving really quickly through learning how to do. That and excelling really quickly. And then I think I just kind of randomly found theater through another friend who was like, Do you want to go to summer camp with me? And that's kind of where that was first introduced. And then I got the bug. And then from that point on, I just kind of sought it out. It was very much of my own fruition. I was very much like, Mom, I want to do this. Yes, I want to go join the drama club. I want to go audition for this dinner theater show when I was 12. And I I forced my mother to take. Me in the car and go audition for the center theater show. So I think a lot of the acting side of the spectrum was kind of of my own doing, but I'm lucky in that I had a lot of teachers who very much were still encouraging me in the
0: arts. Well, nobody suffers fools gladly. If you didn't have any talent, they're not encouraging, they're more encouraging (laughs) you to to be in the audience than to be on the stage. That's true. I think though I had
1: some very realistic teachers too, who were like, are you sure you really wanna do this? This is really hard. You're very talented in all these other areas. Do you wanna consider doing it in these other things? I had many teachers Just their forethought of knowing how hard a life this is. Uh Um, But I I still continue to keep that tunnel vision. I think the criticism and the like, I don't know if you can do this was very much part of it too, of like, I can do this. I can make this happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll show you kind of thing. Did you grow up in the New York City area? No, I'm actually originally from California, oh, Southern California girl. Oh. And uh, my dad was in the military. We didn't move that often, but I did live in the East Coast in Virginia for about eight years. And then California, went to school in California. But now I've been in New York, uh, the East Coast area, New York City metro area, for about 20 years. So I'm kind of a full-on New Yorker now. <laughs> and I guess I have the accent a little bit,
0: too, to prove it. Well, I asked you that question based on the fact, did you go to the theater Did you see Broadway shows when you were younger? And obviously you didn't. No, I didn't. And
1: actually, I don't think I even first saw my really big Broadway touring show until very late in high school. My family wasn't a very theater-oriented family. We went to see a dinner theater show. When I was a little younger, we saw Oliver. But we didn't actually go to see a lot of shows. It was because once I started getting into it, I would want to go, and then there would be somehow figure out a way. But no, we weren't really a theater-going family at all.
0: So your performances... And I don't, and I use the term in quotes, we're limited to high school, college. Were you performing outside of school and getting paid for it? My last few years of high school,
1: I was auditioning before I graduated high school, but that was, I didn't ever book anything. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of like forcing the hand of of my parents to take me because I really wanted to do it and they generously did. Then I didn't ever book anything. But then in my last couple years of high school, I was very much exposed because I did an internship at a professional theater in the summer called Sacramento Music Circus. And we did everything. And it was very much geared towards people who were a little older than me. I was only like 15 at the time. But that kind of set off a streak. And right when I graduated high school, I did actually start getting paid to work Mm -hmm. as a performer. Mm -hmm. And that was there at Music Circus. It was also at surrounding companies. I did have a couple of not professional gigs, but more so community gigs as I was leaving high school. Um, So I was definitely starting to move out fairly quickly into the workforce once I was out of high school. I took my first semester of college off just to do theater. And then I did my first two years at community college, specifically because I wanted to get all the general ad out of the way. And then I went to university, and I went to University of California, Irvine. And I actually ended up graduating there early because at my school, and many schools, they have lots of regional theaters come through and audition for their programs or audition for their seasons. And I had booked two different jobs auditioning at my university. And I actually got to leave school early in my senior year to go off and literally start to work. So I started working right away, pretty much. You wanted to
0: be in musical theater?
1: Yeah, musical theater was definitely where I felt the most pull. I was doing straight plays as well, but I tended to get cast in the musicals, I think, Mm -hmm. because the fact that I could sing and I could dance fairly well at the time I had been trained. But at this point, that's not the case anymore. But um Yeah, I think musicals were where my heart was, and that's just kind of where things seemed to fall into place. I used to say when I was younger that I wanted to be a successful actor and the fact that I could just work consistently. I don't even think Broadway was that end goal for me. It was just that I wanted to continue to
0: work. Well, how did film, if at all, factor into your life based on the fact that you were in Southern California? Um, Well...
1: Going to school... Actually, I'll take it even back a little further. In high school, I hosted an educational television show for kids called Personal Best. And that was actually part of a professional class I took in high school. And we created an actual show that existed on cable in our city at the time. And so that was my first exposure. And I had dreams of being on TV. I grew up on a show called Kids Incorporated. And it was very much like a musical about a bunch of kids who formed a band. And they sang all the hit songs of the 80s and it was like everything to me. So I always had the fantasy of doing television at some point and going to school in Southern California where I was that wasn't where TV was. It was a little further south. It was not in LA proper. And then I booked theater right away and that took me all over the country, but once I moved to New York, it was just another thing that I could be able to do to be able to work and do my thing. And I had rep, and they would send me out on TV auditions. And that's sort of how that started coming into play. And I had been doing some background work. And after September 11th, I moved back to LA for just about six months and did a lot of that at that point to be exposed to television. Mm -hmm. And it kind of just grew from there where I started realizing I really enjoyed that medium as
0: well. And that's sort of how that started taking off as well. But in your heart and in your mind, you knew that you wanted to be in New York City. Yeah, because I
1: was more theater focused. That was I knew that that's where the work was. And my school, Irvine, I was very lucky as well. It had exposed us to New York and had taken us to New York for a whole semester of study. Mm. And so I got to be here. Well, it was more like a month and a half or so. So half a semester of study, but to audition and to take from the teachers and being here in New York when I was young, I didn't need a car. I could very much function on my own. I've always been extremely proactive and savvy and like just such a type A that I really fit very well into this environment. So you I felt kind of like it was
0: home. You weren't intimidated by New York no, City? No,
1: I, I don't think so. I think I get um, a high and so much excitement from always trying new things that are scary. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what New York offered to me.
0: So when you moved here and you started to get your feet wet, did the jobs come relatively quickly or was it a slog? You know,
1: (laughs) well, funny thing is, I moved here the very beginning of the new year of 2000, and like the next day, I was already in line to get a temp job because I knew I needed money. But not very, very quickly after, I started working right away. I got several regional gigs that, of course, took me out of town. I ended up booking a cruise ship, so I did start working. Did you have an agent right away? I didn't. Everything was on my own. That's not typical. (laughs) <laughs> I told you, I'm like, I went to every audition. I was such like, if I'm going to move to New York, I'm going to do it. And then I just didn't waste any time. I just really jumped right on in, regardless. At the time, you know, when you're young, you want to take everything, you don't get tired. You know what I right. mean? You kind of, right. you can run yourself ragged. And it was just such an exciting time that I was, I was all about whatever, whatever was coming my way. So, yeah, I started working right away.
0: So you were able to, and I use that term in quotes too, survive, more than survive. You made a living yes. here. Yes. Mm-hmm. I did
1: make a living and I still had the typical actor day jobs. I was temping in an office. I worked a little bit in a restaurant. And then about a couple of years later, I started dressing on Broadway as well. Um, and that kind of was a little atypical. You should at explain time. that
0: to people who don't know what that is.
1: Oh, sure. So a dresser on Broadway is somebody who works backstage, helping the actors put their costumes on. And while we think that might be such an easy thing, like we dress ourselves every day in a Broadway show, it's not that, because you have like 20 to 30 seconds to do a change. <laughs> right. And then, of course, you have to preset all those costumes while the actors are performing on stage. You have to get everything ready for them. Backstage is a whole show in itself. And there are many people who do these sorts of jobs backstage. And I um, I was lucky, you know, when I was in high school doing the internship, I did that. And that kind of prepared me for being more of a professional in the world backstage as well. And when I was in New York on an audition line for a show, somebody walked past me who was a volunteer when I had moved into being a wardrobe supervisor at Music Circus right after high school. And they had moved here to dress on Broadway. And they were like, how come you're here? And I was like, well, I'm an actor. And they were like, you should work backstage on Broadway. And it didn't it didn't occur to me at the time that I could have done both. And I was like, okay, sure, that's worth a shot. So I interviewed with a supervisor and I remember the chutzpah that I have. I was like, well, I am an actor first. <laughs> so I'm happy to be a dresser, but I can't commit to full time because I might leave town and do a show. And she did hire me. And that's kind of how that all came down. And I mean, I was, I was working as an actor and I was working backstage as a dresser. And I think I was one of the few at the time. There are more people who do that now, but it's just something that I've consistently done where I've been able to do both and support myself and
0: make a living and keep in the um, performing arts field as a whole. Again, I say this ad nauseum, but I only do it because it's true that this incredible tie that binds the women I've interviewed is this sense of self. Whether you created it yourself or other people created it for you, you were going to do whatever the fuck you wanted to do. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean... I, I I don't know quite where it has come from. I mean, I have a dad who, you know, was, he was in the military, but he's also an entrepreneur. And I've always just been so set in knowing that I what I wanted and just doing whatever it was going to take to make things happen in a good way, of course, like, you know, I, I'm such a I'm such a goody goody at the guilt, the Jewish guilt <laughs> that comes in my head. But yeah, I've always been such tunnel vision on knowing what I want and never kind of backing away. And I think, too, um, as a creator and with all the things that I've done, it's it's a little out of the norm in, in doing these things and these different facets that I do at the same time and it's now it's what's so great about the environment that we're in now with the pandemic as I'm starting to see and I preach this to people too and to clients is like really find your unique niche whatever it is that's going to keep you working and doing what you love and being able to create an income and they all influence each other and like take you on this journey where one a backstage job for me could lead to an onstage job or my Fanny Bryce performance could lead to an acting job of some sort. So, um, looking back on it now, it all makes sense to me, but at the time, as I was sort of forming all these things, I had no sense of where anything was going. I just wanted to keep working. And so I was just finding ways to keep working, doing
0: what I love. Well, speaking of working, it worked for you. (laughs) Yes, I guess it did. (laughs) Let's move over to Fanny Bryce. What's the fascination and also the fixation for you?
1: Well, it's so interesting because I get this question a lot, and it's a great question because I am fascinated by her. Uh, But how she came into my life wasn't actually my doing. It was sort of me answering a need. Um, I, I had been asked many moons ago, performing in a regional gig of fiddler, if I had wanted to if I could learn the role of Fanny in Funny Girl to play her in a production of that at that point in time, like a year later in their season. And so that was sort of my real first introduction to her. She had been mentioned to me before because we look similar and obviously when to be a performer and they were like, well, you should learn Fanny Bryce and Funny Girl because, I mean, it's a given. Uh, but, you know, it, I hadn't taken it that seriously. And then I learned the role for a year because, again, when somebody tells me to do something or gives me a challenge, I always say, yes. Okay, great. But I learned the role and then I didn't book the job. But I had put in all this effort for this funny girl that it's funny, the universe, of course, it brings you things when you when you prepare for them. Several years later, doing Danny and Sylvia off Broadway, a person saw me in that show who had a one woman Fanny Bryce show and asked me to workshop that. And then of course, that became One Night with Fanny Bryce off Broadway. And then people saw me in that and asked me to do several other shows about Fanny Bryce. And then also, in addition, people and and companies and, and performing arts facilities were coming to me being like, do you have anything else that you can bring to us that's Fanny? And that's how I created my own Fanny show. And once I did that, I was like, I'm really, I knew by that point in time what I loved about this woman and what I wanted to put out into the world and what I was passionate about her which which was a lot less facts, but more, I mean, facts, of course, but more like anecdotes and stories about who she was and her significance on the world, because we don't see that enough. And I feel like with Funny Girl, it's such a, a limited scope of who she was, because it's not all based in fact with Funny Girl. It's, it's also of a water- Barbara Streisand. I mean, yeah, it's Barbara. It, it's a little watered-down version. It's wonderful. Right. It's about Fanny Bryce. Yes, but it's more about yeah, in Streisand. Right, right. And it's wonderful, but I kind of wanted to bring the real woman out to the world. So that was kind of how I approached it. And then I approached it too again, business mind, wanting to create a future for myself, creating something that was of some sort of significance as far as like an actual show that I could have literally until the day I die and share with the world. And then that's how that came about. And now, of course, many moons later, Nine years later, it's streaming and it's touring and and brings me all kinds of other wonderful opportunities that I could never have
0: predicted. Do you think that she, mm, I mean, Funny Girl notwithstanding, but that maybe Fanny Bryce was sold short that she didn't get her just desserts? She got her just desserts during her
1: time when she lived. I mean, she was extremely significant. I mean, she was like Broadway's biggest star. Everybody probably in the States knew who Fanny Bryce was. Her records were bought by all people, you know, across the States, listened to by everybody. Those who listen to Baby Snooks on the radio who are still alive today, who have seen my show, I mean, they're, they're like, we every week. Week. We we sat with our parents and listened to her on the radio. I mean, she was very significant during her time. I think, unfortunately, now she doesn't get her just desserts because... Um, and, and she is a little bit forgotten about, although recently we've had a resurgence of hearing her name in different things. But it's because the impact that she had really did leave a legacy for people to follow her. But now we have the modern day versions of Fanny Bryce who have kind of been able to do what they've done because she set the tone and kind of set it up for them to continue who to are, move forward. Who are forward. You referencing when you say that? Well, like... I kind of think more old school, like Gilda Radner, Mel Brooks. We had all these people who did what Fanny did and she kind of set the tone for influencing of, of kind of putting your culture and religion into your art. Her ethnicity, she was defined by that. She was defined by that. And she was the first person to do it in a way that wasn't negative.
0: Hmm. Or self-deprecating, you mean. Or self-deprecating, right. I mean,
1: she had a little bit of self-deprecating humor, but even she's quoted in the fact that she wouldn't do anything that was gonna shed a bad light on anybody of a Jewish ilk or religion, even though she herself wasn't very religious, and she knew what her stick was. She knew where she fit into the world and, and what what got her her stardom. But she also knew she didn't want to shed a negative light on it, and she was the first person to do that. And now we see Jewish comedians and, and others, you know what I mean, where the way that they influence their art is through their culture and their religion and whatever it is that they represent, and and owning it in a really good way. And and Fanny was the first person to really speak to that, to a mainstream audience, especially because it was like an immigrant experience because that's what she was putting into her work. She sang and she did comedy about a Jewish girl trying to assimilate into America. And it wasn't just the Jews. It was so met. It was like, that was the time when there, I mean, now we have many immigrants still coming, but at that point in time, it was like all over the world, mass entrance into the United States, you know? So, um, that appealed to all. And again, first person to do that. There's gotta be a first for everything. she
0: was just the first. If somebody was watching Funny Girl and thought that they had a real sense of Fanny Bryce, that's not completely accurate. And especially when you just associate Barbara Streisand with
1: her. Yeah, role. no, and I mean, it wasn't just adding the Jewish to her work. It was also like, or the Yiddish and and that kind of things to her art. But it was like so many of the songs that she sang our songs that people still sing today, like they were the, the things that are now like integral to the American songbook. Um, and of course, being the first female comedian. I mean, it's just huge. And yeah, you never would get any of that from Funny Girl. What you get is like a a love relationship between her and Nick. And we know now Nick was totally a schmuck. (laughs) I mean, they don't they don't portray that in the movie at all. Um, He went to jail several times for huge things. Funny Girl is definitely much more, it still is a love letter to Fanny Bryce, but it's more focused on that love relationship. And I mean, movies of that time and musicals of that time, that makes perfect sense. That's what they were about. It was a relationship, you know, someone falls in love, something happens and, you know, they're either together or they're not. And then the story's over. So that's really
0: what Funny Girl was. But I'm assuming that your portrayal is also Fanny the feminist.
1: Yes, I would say I never thought about it in that way. But yes, because she is definitely the winner in the in the story. And she talks about all her husband's in more of a truth of the matter of, like, Nick did this and this, and I couldn't change him. I tried, but we're born whoever we are, and this is me, and I'm abroad, and this is what I'm going to do, and I'm not apologizing for it. And that really is who she was. I I had the opportunity to read her unpublished memoir, which, is, um, which does exist in the world, and Yeah, you would call her a feminist, I guess, of of modern times. I mean, she was ahead of her time at that point. You wouldn't have called it that then. But she
0: certainly did live the way she wanted to live. Yeah, well, that's really huge. And nothing was going to stop her. Yeah. I mean, and when you think back in the day, I mean, there's not that many women you can tick off. You know, who comes to mind right away is uh, Mae West. Right. So you are portraying Fanny warts and all? I think so.
1: Mm -hmm. I mean... It, it, I I don't I don't beat around the bush of how her relationships were in in the honest sense of the word. What about
0: anti-Semitism? Does that factor into your?
1: Mm, not really, okay. because during her time, this was this was who she was. I mean, I don't feel like as a product of her time. I don't I don't feel like that really is. A part of the equation. Yeah, Yeah. an an issue. And again, she has an artist, again, you can find several quotes about her that say this, is she never did anything that she felt was going to shed a bad light on anything. You know what I mean? So... Uh, There's a few of her songs that might cause a pause of like, oh, that's not doesn't seem totally politically appropriate at this point. But in looking, I in my show where there is just a, a couple of her Yiddish numbers I've strung together, I use them as showing this is
0: what brought her fame during this time. And and this is this is what did it. Are you surprised at her staying power and that people want to see this and that you've been doing this for a while and this works? Um,
1: I, it's so interesting because sometimes I feel like people have forgotten about her. And sometimes I feel like I have that staying power. I think it just depends Um, because I definitely have a very specific audience for my show. I feel like it's those who love Barbara. It's those who love musical theater. And it's those who grew up on Fanny or were exposed to Fanny at some point in their lifetime, which is a more mature crowd.
0: As an older.
1: Yeah, yes, yes.
0: (laughs) you said it? I didn't. Um, I can say it.
1: I'm part of that mature crowd. (laughs) But I think it's interesting because the people who are not familiar with my show who see it go, oh, I didn't realize this was her song. Or, oh, I didn't realize that she was the person who did this. Or, oh, I need to now go look up this woman and read about everything she does. So that's cool. But what I will say is I personally, in the last couple, I think with this, it started with of with Boardwalk Empire when we started hearing about Fanny again, and the sort of resurgence of the Great Gatsby and all the nineteen twenties stuff as we were moving out of the nineties into two thousand, and then moving through two thousand into coming into our twenties. You know what I mean? We're heading back in, so there was this resurgence of the twenties, and that's sort of where with Boardwalk Empire, with Glee, with the talk of funny girl revivals, we started hearing more of Fanny. And then that's when I started seeing actually more momentum happening because I think more people were going, ooh, Fanny, who's that? Or I'm not sure. And then Mm. when it was starting to, when you're seeing a name in a very popular show being mentioned again and again, and now we're seeing that more so in other things as well. I mean, Can You Ever Forgive Me? The movie, the crux was, it was, you know, they found Fanny Bryce's signature. And that's not really about the storyline, but it was a part of that. And Maisel, they mentioned Fanny a ton. And she is kind of like, you know what I mean? She's kind of the another Fanny Bryce in a way. right? And Gilmore Girls had a little ode to it as well. So I, I feel like the more people talk about it, the more that makes me happy. Because I think it is actually more so now than even maybe five years ago
0: that people know who Fanny is. You're still very Fanny focused. No pun intended there, but, <laughs> but also, what else is it about your career that is important to you, or that you want to do that you haven't done?
1: Well, Fanny is a huge part of my life. I think at this point now, she's just always going to be a huge part because basically Fanny now is of my creation. Um, And I'm not speaking of of Fanny herself, but as a project, as my professional. Well, you own this. I mean, I own this. This is mine. Right. So that's a huge part. But because it's kind of something now that is growing a little bit on its own without me like putting a hundred percent of my focus. I am doing a lot more TV film now. Um, I'm always auditioning for things as just an actress as Kimberly and most people, most things I get called in for because of Fanny are now playing historical women in that early 20th century vibe of whether they're actual well-known women or not. So that's kind of the niche it's created for me. So when I get called in for a project, it's usually something of that ilk, or, you know, I'm get called in for playing the Jewish girl or the Jewish immigrant or the Jewish something. Typecast? Or is that a negative term? It's not a negative for me. In any of this career, and I encourage other people too, I feel like if you can find a way in then, then everything kind of grows from there. Cause you know, it's like a business of knowing people and collaboration. And when somebody works with you on one thing, then they're going to think of you for something else that might be different or different in scope or of a different type or whatever. So I like to embrace a lot of, of that stuff. Um, but so she's still a huge part of me. She's like 50 to 75% of my performing career, let's face it, especially during the pandemic. That's all I've got. You know what I mean? Like we're in a pandemic and I've been so lucky to have that. But I'm also very focused on getting other acting opportunities as well in all kinds, whatever that next thing is, I don't know, but I'm always constantly auditioning and seeing what that other thing is going to be. And it's just, she's still there in me. And she comes out a lot in my acting as well. You know what I mean? It's not, sure. you'll see that when I'm, that I'm doing something.
0: Well, what was that like for you to give birth to her? You wrote this, you own all of this.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I have a team of people, so I definitely can't take all the credit. I have a team of like eight or nine people who have helped me on this journey that are still there for me. So there is that. But what's interesting is because I had been exposed to other projects, again, at playing Fanny and other people's shows that really helped me figure out what it was I wanted to do because I couldn't do any of those other shows. I had to really create something that was a totally different in scope. I feel like I had to find the things in me that were very similar to Fanny. Kind of how can I bring those to the forefront and then also play this amazing woman? And it's kind of reciprocal. The things that had influenced Kim from playing Fanny as well are very much part of that show as well and
0: I'm also curious has Barbara Streisand seen this (laughs) I don't think so but I have a good Barbara story go for it okay
1: so I obviously I want to meet Barbara and I of what I would give to sing on the same stage with her and doing doing something even like secondhand rose. But regardless <laughs> of that, we've been associated in many articles together. So I would like to think she's maybe seen our names together, especially when I was doing the uh, One Night with Fanny Bryson, I had the New York Times review. One would like to think maybe if she reads the Times, she would have seen it. However, with that said, she did uh, an interview at the Winter Garden Theater a couple years back for, I believe it was her new album at the time. And me being me and a friend being who she was, was like, this is your time to meet her if you can. So she suggested to me that I bring her yellow roses, which are from Funny Girl, Fanny bring, you know, Uh the yellow roses is a thing. Uh So I brought her a dozen yellow roses, attached a card that basically said, you know, you've been a huge influence in my life and I'm the other Fanny Bryce go-to gal. (laughs) Uh And I hope that, you know, one day we can meet. And I had attached my CD as well to it. And not knowing I left it at the stage door and me working on Broadway, I know that if you'd leave something there, the person who you're trying to get it to will get it. And so I just kind of left it at that. And then when I was sitting in the audience for the show, I look up on the stage as we're waiting. It must have come out when we were sitting there because it wasn't there when I initially sat down. And on the table next to her chair and her water glass were the little bouquet of yellow flowers that I had brought for her. And so she had put them out. And then in the middle of the talk, she had acknowledged them as well. Wow. So wonderful. So that was like... <laughs> that wow, was validation. Uh, that yeah. was total validation because she didn't have to do that. And... Um, Actually, during the pandemic, I sent her a card about the fact that Fanny's now streaming in the hopes that, you know, now she could actually watch you it got if she you She got time like. in her hands to go yeah. watch it. Yeah. But yeah. I envision that, like, my CD is sitting somewhere in her house on her
0: bookshelf or who knows where. But I hope one day it'll happen. It would be lovely. What are you working on? What do you hope happens next? Pandemic, notwithstanding, obviously.
1: I'm hoping that you'll see me in more TV film projects as we come out of the pandemic. Um, I've been very lucky to be auditioning consistently during this time for some great projects. So we'll see. You know, you just never know when that next thing is going to happen. But the same goes for stage. Right now, theater is a paused. So I, I don't know what the next theater thing will be. But obviously, keep growing my show. Keep taking it on tour. I have shows coming up in 2022. Also, I'm in the process of writing a book, which is crazy. This is not on my acting end. This is on my coaching. Uh-huh. And um, that started over the pandemic. I'm about halfway through, which is exciting because my coaching business is growing as well as we speak. And it has been over the course of several years. But I think as people start to embrace the fact that they want to be able to create their own work and they want to figure out their own path. And now it's so much more important now because they realize that that might be the only thing that they have control over with how everything is sort of shut down. And in the long term, you can create your own thing to have it forever. So
0: that's the focus of your coaching is helping people get to that point.
1: Yeah, it's like the business of the biz. So if if, if people want to work goals and how to kind of get certain things or like get an agent or things like that, I help them with it. And I've had a lot of success there. But it's also to just embracing smart business savvy or giving them permission to create their own work, um, doing whatever you need to do to make things happen and realize that in our business, there are no rules. I mean, you know, most of us are making it up as we go along sure. in our lives and mm-hmm. seeing what happens. And I think artists find that really hard to take ownership of that because I think so many people are always waiting for somebody to give them something or to hire them. That next audition. And, uh, that next audition or that next job. And while while I am too, I'm not waiting for it. I'm still doing things that help to progress my art mm-hmm. or my life as a whole. So I'm just very much about that. And I'm also very much about encouraging everybody to embrace who they are and not worry about what people are asking them to be, or what they think they need to right. be. I've always been that way since I was very little of like, I'm just going to sound the way Kim Greenberg sounds. I'm going to do what I
0: do. And hopefully there will be a place for me and we'll see. It's a great attitude. Very empowering. I'm curious as to whether or not there might be another Fanny Bryce type experience for you that you will envelop another woman.
1: You know, I've thought about that because there's times when people go, oh, you remind me of blah, blah, blah. And it's like some kind of historical person. Mm -hmm. And I'll look it up and I'll be like, oh, that would be cool to write another show on this person's life. I've actually had that mentioned to me a couple of times. I could see that happening. Down the road. Uh, I could see that happening down the road. Uh, The thought of that right now with everything I have going on seems seems a little overwhelming to me, and just realistically, not ideal because there's only 24 hours in the day. <laughs> it sounds. It sounds like
0: you're making very good use of them.
1: Too. <laughs> oh my gosh! If only there were more than 24 hours in the day, it would be fabulous. Oh, or maybe not because I do need to sleep. But it's definitely something that I've considered. I always feel like everything in my life um, stems from something or somebody saying something or like something coming along that didn't work out, and then I'm like, well, I could still do that. I never know
0: what tomorrow is going to bring. So we'll see. Well, that's a great way for me to say when you find out what tomorrow brings, you let us know and we can come <laughs> back for a part two. <laughs> Sounds good. I will. Kim, it was really terrific getting to know you and Fanny Bryce and all your other talents. And I thought what better way to end this conversation than with a selection from one of your shows about Fanny. And what do you think we should hear?
1: a great tune would be a little secondhand rose. It's just fun and upbeat. Of course, many will know that song. Maybe those will be familiar with Barbara singing it. But Fanny was the first person to sing secondhand rose. So it's from my show.
0: Thank you so much for sharing your passion and your life with us. I really enjoyed meeting you. Thanks so much for having me. It was great to be here. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Kimberly Greenberg singing secondhand rose.
1: It's no wonder that I feel abused. I never get a thing that ain't been used. I'm wearing second-hand shoes, second-hand hoes. All the girls hand me their second-hand bows. Even my pajamas when I do. not Um, Had somebody else's initials on them Secondhand rings, I'm sick of secondhand things I never get what other girlies do Once while strolling through the Ritz, a girl got my coat She nudged her friend and said, oh look, that's my old fur coat Everyone knows that I'm just secondhand rose From Second Avenue